thank you for listening to this podcast message from Stowe Presbyterian Church. This message was given by Pastor Bob Stanley. All right, everyone, I've got news for you. Heads up, Thanksgiving will be here before you know it. And there's two things you can count on. Take this to the bank. There will be someone who demands you make a dish their way as if they're the only ones that know how to make green bean casserole or whatever. They're going to demand you do it their way. And count on this, someone in your family will try to start an awkward conversation on a topic you hope will not be brought up. It might be a personal topic or like something that happened in your family years ago or something that's maybe embarrassing to you or someone else. It could be any of those things, but you know it'll happen. And what are things we don't talk about at those meals? What, what are some of the things? So I mean, first of all, what, what, are, what are those things we don't talk about? We don't talk about faith often in public, right? We're scared of that. And what else? Yes, all right. And we have a kind of a non-political thing we do here in our church. So this morning, guess what we have to talk about in God's Word? How the Christian is to operate out in the world as a part of the state. There's also a third one we'll talk about around here in Cleveland, and that's sports, because it just can lead to outright depression uh, for us. I mean, that's true as well. But hey, the Cavs won last night. They looked good. See what happens when your center breaks up with a Kardashian? They play better. So it's, no, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> I was cheering for him. I'm like, look at you. You got your life back. Like I know Tristan Thompson personally or something, but we don't talk about sports often because it can be sad for us here in Cleveland. I understand that. But what we are going to talk about today are two of those third rail kind of topics. We're going to talk a little bit about our faith and about politics and how they mesh together in Romans 13, 1 through 7. And it's a familiar passage to us, maybe not the content But the concept, it's one of the most misunderstood and misrepresented uh, scripture passages, probably along with do not judge. It's right up there. Funny enough, politicians are often the ones that quote these wrong uh, on both sides of that. So it's kind of funny that that happens. But we're not going to talk, I'm not going to tell you how to vote today. Churches don't do that. They shouldn't do that. I will never do that. That's not what we're going to talk about. So relax, So we're, even though this seems like third rail matters of public life, we're going to talk today about what are my responsibilities in this world as a believer to interact and to deal with the world around us, particularly the political realm and authority, because it's a topic that God's word says something about. And we're going to see as we ask these, do I have these responsibilities? We're going to see in Romans 13, undeniably, the question is, yes, we do have these responsibilities. So let's take a look here at Romans 13, 1 through 7. And remember here that Paul has turned a corner here in the book of Romans. In Romans 1 through 11, Paul laid this doctrinal, this very theological foundation going back in the Old Testament, looking around the world, really drawing in the church in Rome and as a circular letter, all the churches to understand there is indeed this Christian worldview, this Christian life that we're supposed to live. We're supposed to understand things from God's perspective by the Spirit's guidance, that we stand in Christ. We understand that. And now Romans 12 forward, he's turned this corner and we have this very practical understanding. How do we put this into action? How do we carry out our faith in every aspect of our lives? And this is one of them. And as God's word here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, gives us, alongside the Roman church, some insight as how we deal with authority. Church here is addressing, the church in Rome is addressing this because they're part of the Roman Empire. So even as we read this this morning, just tuck away in the back of your head, the Roman Empire was not known for their extensive freedom for their people. 
They were not known for being the most compassionate or the, the kindest group of people in world history. So with that in mind, let's dive in and learn from God's word. Romans 13. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's commands. And those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval, for it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one whom does wrong. Therefore you must submit, not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's servants, continue attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. So Christians in Rome were dealing with a government and a power that seemed to be bent towards extremes, as it were. Maybe you can relate to that in our world today. There were few governments in history more powerful and capable of accomplishing good things and yet also doing brutal and terrible things as the Roman Empire. Those who were allies of Rome and worked alongside of them and became their friends were very well treated and experienced greatness and a lot of good things. But their enemies, however, were devastated. While the citizens of Rome lived well, most of those in the city of Rome were actually slaves. Alongside many in the Roman church who were slaves, I'm sure there were also free citizens. Paul himself was a Roman citizen. But if you remember our study in, in Rome of the Roman church, we, we see that many of them were actually, they were indentured slaves. They were enslaved for a period of time or for a function or a reason. It was often not the nicest way to live. It wasn't necessarily what we think of as chattel slavery in our own history, which is horrific and barbaric in its, its own right, but this was still not something that was pleasant or good. So think about the church in Rome as they hear what Paul says to them in this passage. How do you think they felt when they heard that? How do you think they felt? These were outright painful verses. Yet these verses don't mention Caesar or any other ruler, nor does it address the good or bad sides of Roman government in detail, or any other government in that sense. So we should clear the air here and start from the beginning. The Bible does not directly mandate one particular structure of government. It doesn't. The Bible doesn't. There's not some form of governance that is given, not ruled by kings or Congress or anything else, that we can say, this is the only way. But there are principles, to be certain, that are applicable to governments in all structures, but not just one version of rule or one political party. Yet Christians, we want to know, how do we deal with the reality of our faith out there in the world around us? And while the Bible may not say only this government is good, it's not silent on the issue as we see here. And in all of Scripture, there are principles that are always against God's heart, 
especially of government and authorities that want to be like a deity in themselves. And Caesar certainly wanted to be a deity. In the Roman world, they said Caesar is Lord, and they meant capital L Lord, that he was a god. That's what they meant. What Caesar declared was called the Evangelion, the proclamation of the good news. You see how Jesus got in trouble? But all the way back even in Israel's own history, 1 Samuel 8 reminds us when the people of Israel say, we want our own ruler, we don't want God, we don't want this theocracy where God's ruling us, Samuel stops him and he says, hey, there's a price to human rule because human rulers are sinful. He says, your young men will run in front of his chariot. That's uh, 1 Samuel 8, 11. You can look that up. He says, they're going to run in front of the chariot and they're going to fall for that king. Do you know what it costs to have an earthly ruler? And of course, as Israel found out, they didn't. Not just Israel. Think of some of the Old Testament rulers like Nebuchadnezzar that you know. They didn't have it so good in the Old Testament. And God is not keen. He's not very happy with those who place themselves squarely in space reserved for him as the one and only God, the Almighty. And Israel and Judah, they learned painfully from their own kings, their own rulers throughout their history. And unfortunately, the people suffer alongside their bad kings. We see this throughout scripture. This is nothing new to us in the Bible. Blessing flows from obedience in God's word and pain and loss comes from disobedience. Sin brings death pain and darkness. Paul's already talked about that. We get that. And it's clear from our knowledge of the Roman culture in the early church that Caesar, who thought he was a god and had Caesar as Lord, he, he really thought he was the one and only. And the church, of course, stood in opposition and they said, no, there is one Lord and one King and he is Christ Jesus. And of course, a collision will occur a worldview that is incompatible with the worldview around it, a precedent beyond anything we would have a disagreement over at a Thanksgiving meal. It's a place of frustration for us as believers in our world this day. Far more than having an opinion that is, whether shared or unshared, completely in opposition, cut and dry, it cannot be compatible with the world around us. So what do we do? Well, Paul starts this passage, look at Romans 13, 1. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are instituted by God. I don't know about you, but that's not very emotionally satisfying, is it? It's not exactly Mel Gibson in The Patriot, is it? What do we do with that? Does that mean America is wrong? First of all, don't send me nasty emails. No, it doesn't. And there are certainly times when we have to stand up for what's right and resist authority, but Paul here says that's not where we start. No shirts, no slogans, no pithy memes or shared things on Facebook or social media, secretly hoping that person that annoys you sees your thing and is annoyed by it. Oh, you all do it. You know you do. It's not good, right? That's not what this is about. First of all, we see the Bible not only accepts and presents to us that we have been given governing authorities, but it presents them as necessary. There's no room for anarchy in the Bible. We need authorities. We need structures to some degree. In Acts 17, when they're trying to figure out how to have these different faith elements in their culture, there's a reference in God's Word where Paul says, where does authority come from? He asks that question. Do governments or kings get their rights from God? 
Do we here in the United States give our leaders authority? Well, yes, we do, at least in part. So where does authority in God's view come from? To answer this, we must remember that everything for the Christian is based on our trusting in God's faithfulness. And for us, we see God's faithfulness practically at work in our lives and what we refer to as providence. The biblical worldview expressed throughout biblical history are Puritans. I mean, Thanksgiving dinner's coming, right? Puritans, of course, the, the pilgrims, as people often call them. The pilgrims, uh, the Puritans had this understanding greatly of providence and simply means this. God is actively working for our goodness in our world through all things. Romans 8.28, remember that? For what is good and right and true. That's what providence means. God's not a spectator. He's not passive. He's not off in the distance. He's active throughout all of his creation. He's at work. And for us, this matters. We can trust God because God has the power and the authority to work through all the instructions. He is sovereign. He's over and above all things. Therefore, he controls and uses all things accordingly. Just as God controls nature, he moves the stars in the cosmos, he too is able to use the power of the rulers and authorities around us for whatever he deems best and needed. That's what Paul is asserting here. On Thursdays, if you're looking for a Bible study in your free Thursday mornings, it's a fantastic study. We're looking at the book of Exodus where we've already seen in the book of Romans discussed, God even uses Pharaoh and sometimes he hardens Pharaoh's heart. God even uses unjust authority for his purposes. That's what sovereignty means. God is at work in and through the patterns and events of all of human history. And that means God is the authority behind every human authority. What does that look like for us? What does that mean for us? God's at work through all authorities. And what does that really do to change how we look at the world around us? What Paul's saying then is only one real authority in the universe exists, and that is God in all earthly powers are subject and accountable to him. But that goes also for us as biblical Christians. We're accountable to him as well. And lesser authorities, this isn't just for the president or the Congress or you know some dictator in some far-off land. That's, that's not saying that they're all equal or they're all just as good, but God is at work and he can control all of them. Whether it's the school board, whether it's a king, whether it's a pastor or the elders, whether it's a parent, whether it's a mayor, whether it's a monarch, it doesn't matter. All those who gather authority, they receive it from the hand of a sovereign and providential God. And he's on the throne even now. Does that mean that God likes what Caesar's doing? Not at all. But it does mean that he can use even that to accomplish what is good. And in fact, I'm sure that for all of us, from parents to Pope, we know that God can be displeased with how humans wield authority. What authority Caesar has comes from God, and Paul calls us to recognize that as believers. That'd be hard for the church in Rome, don't you think? I think it'd be really, really hard for them. But how does that work for us here in America today? Well, let's think about our own past for a minute. Now, before you start waving the flag and going crazy, give me a minute. We Go back to the British monarchy. That's where we came from. The real British monarchy, not like the people that are, uh, you know, the, the royal families in People magazine. Did they throw Harry out of the palace? Or no, Not like that. Not like 
tabloid royal family. No offense to the royal family. For whatever reason, they hear this podcast. You're great. Um, we're not hating on you here. Glad we're independent of you, though. Um, what we're really saying here, quite simply, is that all authorities, whether it was those from which America came out from underneath or somewhere else in the world today where we see bad things happening, all authorities are humans and all humans are sinners and all sinners tend to think that they're God. And if you have more power, absolute power corrupts. We have that for a reason, right? Is a phrase we all know. Right. We, ever, we get drunk with power. I remember my friend, Rachel, she got the crossing guard badge at school. Everybody remember crossing guards? Do you remember back when we let kids be crossing guards? Yeah, you want to get things right, put six-year-olds out in the street with orange belts on again, right? So I remember so bad wanting to be a crossing guard, and I had to be in at least second grade where you couldn't stand on the street, but you could stand out on the corners as a crossing guard. You had to be like in fifth grade to stand and like go out with the sign. Oh, but dude, when third grade, I went to Christian school, and we didn't have crossing guards because we were out in the country, and we'd just be watching for wild turkeys and livestock. It wouldn't have worked. <laughs> but when I lived in the town, man, second grade, man, I got chosen. I had that orange, you know, it looked like a seatbelt that you wore. Did everybody remember these things? Right? And you had a badge. Oh, you had power, man. And I'm out in the street in my Garanimals on the corner <laughs> with my belt on and my badge. With the police officer that was there, from the police officers would come out when school, because we, we had a walking district, a lot of it, where I grew up. And I remember being so cool, because the police chief gave me a bunch. We had Steelers trading cards that were from the police department. This is like the you know, early 80s. Uh, you know, I know Cleveland fans, this may not be something, but we're good at football, usually, when we don't get hurt. Sorry, I had to throw that in there. Steelers-Browns game is coming. And... Uh, I got to hand out cards to all the kids coming in, like, yeah, here's Terry Bradshaw, man. And they're like, oh, thank you. And I'm like, you're welcome, citizen. <laughs> That's authority, right? I was drunk with power with my orange seatbelt that I wore. I thought the ladies loved it. It's silly, isn't it? But isn't that what happens? Whether it's individuals from the time we're really little, when you're put in charge of one of your siblings, whatever it is. You think, man, I've got this figured out. I can misuse this. But just because people misuse their authority or get a little big head of a, you know, get a little bit of a large head or a big ego over it, it doesn't mean that God is not a God who favors and designs us to have authority. We're meant to be underneath God. We're meant to live under authority. God is a God of order, and that's what Paul is telling us. That's what Paul wants us to see here. I suppose it's Romans 13 too. Sorry about that. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command. This is what God designed as the authority behind all authorities. And those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. God is a creator God. He creates the universe in order, in symmetry. Now sin brings disorder and chaos into it. We know that. But that's the way God designed us. And so as Christians, each one of us is to be subject to governing authorities, to law, to police, to justice, to good things designed for our well-being. It's a necessary part of things. This is how culture operated even before the Ten Commandments. God wired us. God built us for this. So we see that resistance to authority can, in many cases, not all, but many cases, 
actually be resistance to God. Now let's take this outside of politics or government or anything like that and think of it in terms of our family. Parents are given authority over their children by God. So when, when kids rebel against their parents, disrespect their parents, they're rebelling against the structure that God created. They're rebelling against God because he's the creator. He is the sovereign God who made it. They're rebelling against God. In this verse, we see we are called to obey authority, and that includes politicians and parents and school boards and crossing guards and whatever else. And when we don't obey authority, we are quite possibly, but not always, bringing ourselves into God's judgment. Now, don't get too excited yet, parents and politicians in the room, because we're not done. We're not done with this yet. We're not done. God is good and right, and he sets forth a plan here for right authority, for proper government. And it says in the passage there, if you look in Romans uh, 13.3, this is about proper government, what's good, what's right. It's not a terror to good conduct, but only to bad. And that makes sense. When God establishes authority and we obey it, only good things should come of it. But if you've been paying attention, I'm sure there's something rattling around in your mind that's bothering you. If God is sovereign then how does he tell the Roman church to obey Roman Caesar because Caesar will soon begin killing Christians just for being Christians? That happens in our world today. If you're watching the controversy, if you're my friend on social media, you know that I am really upset with the NBA for not supporting the people in Hong Kong right now. China bulldozed a thousand, like 8,000 member church this week and put all their pastors in jail. Did anybody see that? Just bulldozed the church, took it away. It doesn't exist anymore. Now, those of you that know me know that I have a real problem with that. That's not a good and proper use of authority. The Roman church doesn't do everything right by the Christians. The Christians end up hiding in the catacombs. They're tortured. They're fed to the lions. But we have to be careful here in our conscience today. How we obey government in Rome, how we obey government in our world, when something becomes suspect... When something becomes downright evil, it's a question we all have to face. And here's usually where Christians make one or two fatal errors with Romans 13. I want to thank John Calvin, the father of Presbyterianism, and Dr. Al Mohler, who's president of Southern Baptist Seminary. Both have written well on this topic. There's two things they, they say to misunderstand this. First of all, they'll say, well, Paul here, he, he just doesn't understand that the Roman church is going to get more evil. It's not that evil yet, and... The second thing is the Bible says we should be subservient to government, so that just means whatever the government is, we're supposed to be subservient. We go to one extreme or the other here, and that's not what this passage is saying. First of all, if you know Paul's life, he was shipwrecked, beaten, thrown out, tortured, and eventually imprisoned for his faith. So he knows all about the Roman government. And it's not that it just hasn't gotten bad yet. Paul is saying this knowing full well the Roman government's not good. He's a smart guy. He's being guided by the Holy Spirit. And second, this is not saying you should be a doormat to anything in any kind of oppressive, despotic, you know, dictatorship. That's not what this is saying either. It's not what this is saying. That's not what this passage tells us. Many of the early, early church were enslaved, like we said. Rome was a rough place. Paul knew suffering. That's not that we should be silent. It's not that Government, you know, we can't see it for what it is, but as we dig into this, there's three ideas that we have to take with us, three things I want you to take with us. Authority comes from God. 
And that authority, like us, we are all accountable to him. The next thing is to resist rightful authority, and that word is important, is to resist God. And a right government, a just government, praises good and punishes evil. That is the framework we have to understand this passage through. Does everybody understand why that's so important? We have to see it in this way. We have to see it that way. All government, as Paul says, is to be God's servant for good. Look at verse 4. For if it is God's servant for your good, that's how it starts out. The wording here seems even softer in our modern English, but the reality is God's minister, God's representative. This is a very positive term. Government's supposed to be a good thing. It's supposed to be a good thing. It's supposed to bring God's blessings to its people. But we know that doesn't always happen. And the verse continues, But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant, an avenger, this is not Marvel Avengers, just so we're clear, that brings wrath on one who does wrong. Wow. Now this makes sense in many different paradigms. For example, in my home, if I did what was wrong, I knew that my mother, the avenger of all wrong and the guardian of all righteousness, would find out. She would find me like Liam Neeson and Taken. She had a particular set of skills. My mother would just know when I did something wrong. I don't know how she knew. She'd come up and she would say to me, what did you do? I didn't know she knew I had done anything. And so I began thinking, what did I do? And I immediately thought of 10 things I did, and I, of course, like an idiot, told her. So what happened to me? Got in trouble. There's a blue chair in my house that was actually my parents' chair. And I find that I always end up sitting in that chair in the corner, which is ironic because when I was a kid, I had to sit in that chair when I did something wrong and think about what I'd done. But for whatever reason, if you've ever come to my house in this sitting room, there's a blue chair in the corner, and you'll notice I always sit in it. I actually usually sit my backpack in it when I come home. And that's the chair I sit in. Maybe it's part of my Calvinism where I know I'm such a wretched sinner. I don't know what it is, but... Anyhow, that's, that's just the thing. God designed us to have a moral structure as moral people, to know what's good, to know what's bad. That's part of what he ordains for our good, to make us more like him. The government is supposed to be on the right side of things, morally, spiritually, do God's will, know God's heart. That's a life and death matter. The Bible here presupposes and presents things like the military and capital punishment and police. It exists. I hear Christians say the Bible does not support capital punishment. I'm sorry to say, friends, it's right here. That's in that verse. God says it's okay as the state, as a servant, when it's doing what's right and moral and true, that it carries the sword. It does. Think about that for a minute. Think about that. Every society has a sense of right and wrong because people are made in God's image. Whether it's prisoners who, when someone comes in who has hurt a child, do they tolerate that person in prison? You guys know they don't, right? Even a dictator who is wrong hates lying if you lie to them. And they'll say lying is wrong. Well, that's true, they're misusing it, but 
We all have this innate sense of what's right and what's good and what's wrong. God wires it into us because we are wired to bring God glory, to be God's servants. That imago Dei, we're made in God's image. We're made in God's image. And government's supposed to be good. And we're supposed to, as a part of that, do what's right according to God's word because God ordained all of this as we see in Romans 5. So we submit not only because of wrath, we don't want to have punishment, but because of our hearts and our conscience, we know that we are to do what's right because God says it's right. God's Spirit shows us we are to obey. The Christian conscience calls us to obey authority, but notice what it says, authority that is right. Are there, are there authorities that are wrong? Yeah. Absolutely. There absolutely are authorities that are wrong. Absolutely. But they do bring good things to us, like taxes. Okay, that's a lie. I don't like taxes. I'm sorry. Um, but in a perfect world, taxes are supposed to be for our good, right? Think of the Romans. They built aqueducts and roads that are still there. PennDOT can't make them. ODOT, wherever you live, you know, think about that. The states around us, Michigan, I'm sure, is even worse because Michigan's always worse, you know, think about it. Think about us in the snow rust belt here. We can't make roads last for nine months. There's, their roads are still there, right? Good use of tax dollars, that's all I can say. But think about that. Conscience means that we are to be obedient to the heart of God. Know what God says is right, and we need to know God's word. For many of us, us, this is a lost concept. Our faith can only seem to take root for us behind closed doors. We don't say what is good. We don't say what is right. We don't do it in love. We don't stand in a conscience like Christ would have us. We, we cower. We're afraid to say anything. Or we lash out on people on social media and we're just nasty. Where are the Christians in the middle who consistently just say and do what is right? And what is right is also teaching people how to treat one another the right way with love and with consistency in the light of Christ's mercy in the darkness. We live with grace and with peace and with truth. That's what this passage is calling us to do. And that's where this passage ends. We're supposed to pay taxes. We're supposed to do right things. Taxes to those you owe. Tolls to those you owe tolls. Respect to those you owe respect. And honor to those you owe honor. Think about where this passage lands. Think about that. Respect and honor. The heart of the matter. Christians in the world around us, we are to respect, to love, and to care for the offices, the structures, the authorities God's put in place. Does that mean that every politician is righteous? Not even close. Does that mean that every parent is a good parent? Not even close. Does that mean that every form of government is equal? No way. What it does mean, friends, for us as Christians, is that we must respect and love and honor the offices and authorities that God has put in place because we've lost sight of who, capital W, is truly in control over all of this. And as Christians in the world, we need to live out 
faithful lives of respect and obedience to honor God by honoring others in authority. That's how we create structure in the midst of chaos. Failing to do so is failing to respect God. We practice in our world today as Christians, so many Christians are practicing no love, no mercy, and no grace with how they deal with those they oppose. We have lost our ability as the church to deal with those who we disagree with with dignity as Christ would deal with them. Are there times when we get heated? Sure. Do we stand on God's word? You better believe it. But we must learn to do so as Christ would have us. We've lost the ability to surrender ourselves in any meaningful way to anyone or anything other than our own instant gratification to zing somebody on the internet. Paul here in Romans 13 is speaking in light of what we just learned in Romans 12. If God is sovereign, if he can guide our hearts to know what is good, if the Spirit can show us what is moral and what is right, then he can use us to change others in the world around us when we give, when we serve, when we respect, when we love, and when we obey even the imperfect systems in the world around us. Friends, if you want the world to be different, the change that needs to happen starts with us. That's important as we get towards an election cycle, when people act crazy. That's not a, stand to, a call to stand in the face of evil and say everything that anyone says is okay, but we are called to be witnesses to goodness and decency and respect in the face of moral, spiritual, and real chaos and wrong. Respect others with whom you disagree and treat them with dignity. I fear Christians are losing the ability to do this. I really do. Think about our own political debates. You ever watch like C-SPAN? Yawn, right? I love it. And the British is this way too in the American system. When they have to refer to each other as the honorable gentlemen from South Carolina or whatever. You guys ever see this when they talk about government? Now, what do they, they, they'll say that. The, now, they're not doing that anymore, which is bad, but they say the honorable, you know, congresswoman from or, you know, congressman from, what they really want to say is, Jim, you suck and I hate you. <laughs> oh, come on. I can say that in church, right? But isn't that true? Don't they want to say that to each other? The scary part is now they are. They're cussing at each other. Don't do that. If you want to stand out in a world that's going mad, don't stoop to that level. If you want to say that Christ is king, then live like it. Kanye West has an album out this week called Jesus is King. Has anybody seen this? Why is Kanye West the only one that seems to know it? Christians are bagging on that as well. That's a different sermon for a different day. We are so mean as people anymore, guys. You want to have a good witness? Don't live that way. Don't do it. Don't be that way. Instead, remember that a bad king is still a king. A parent who does wrong is still a parent. It doesn't mean they're right before God. It doesn't mean that God is giving them a pass, but we respect the offices and structures God has designed, the government, the family, the things that God gives us that is ordained because therefore are good. So we act with dignity and goodness 
in a world filled with scorn and hot takes and sarcasm and rampant disrespect, if you want to stand out, live different. It doesn't mean we agree with their choices or with their principles or with the lack of values they have. That's not what we're saying. But how we interact and how we live, how we respect and how we honor can make a difference. So now, friends, we have a duty. Go out and vote and pray and see what people stand for and vote according to your conscience by the Spirit's guidance and what God's Word teaches. That's your calling. We have a responsibility to be Christians in the world around us. But treat those with whom you disagree, no matter what they say and do, with dignity and respect, even when you don't feel they deserve it, because we're all sinners need, who need God's grace. God has a plan as a sovereign God to use the structures that He has placed, even the bad ones, to bring about goodness and righteousness. That doesn't mean there isn't a time when we stand against injustice and pain and destruction, but that's a different sermon for a different day. But in as much as we are able, we should treat others with love, with humility, with mercy, and respect. I'm going to close today with a quote from D.C. Innes. David Innes is a great author and thinker. He teaches at King's College. I, I really uh, respect him. And he has a great book called The Voting Christians. It's in our library. And he has a new one called Christ in the Kingdom of Men that I got to read before it came out. Uh, I know David a little bit. He's a great guy and a very intelligent man of God. And I love this simple quote. Think about this when you think about how frustrated you can, how frustrated you can get. Life together without the rule of law is a state of war in which, in the end, nobody wins. God has placed us here in this time that we would be a light in the darkness. As Christians in the world, let's start by loving, by caring, and by honoring those around us, even those with whom we disagree. Let's pray. Father, for all those that you call us to trust in, God, in, in the structures around us, and we're not perfect. God, our elders at our church aren't perfect. Our local government isn't perfect. Our parents aren't perfect. God, none of us have it all together, but that we would know what God's Word says is true and right and good. For those who immediately scream and decry, Lord, uh, governments they disagree with, Father, I think of churches in our community who things have gone wrong and people are out there screaming at them. Your word gives us a better way to resolve our difficulties in passages like Matthew 18. God, your word calls us to honor and to respect the offices that you have given us, whether it's the mayor of a town or the parents or the head of a household or the elders of a church or, God, the leaders of our nation. It doesn't mean we agree with what they do. It doesn't mean they don't do what's wrong. And we have a right to call that out. But would we speak the truth in love? Would we honor and respect those that you have placed as a sovereign God? Would we practice dignity and humility? God, would we practice charity and compassion? God, give us patience not to react in the moments of anger, but to prayerfully think about what we say before we post stuff, before we march out and grab a sign doesn't mean those times don't come, God, and there, aren't, there are times when we do need to speak up and to stand against evil, but that we would do so by your guidance and not by our need to be the authority. God, humble us, guide us, and may we 
prayerfully be obedient to you and pray for those in authority over us. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.